and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, there's no doubt the world has changed quite dramatically of late. We've been hit with COVID. Remote, hybrid and homeworking are now more commonplace. The climate change issue is playing out right before our very eyes. Social media is more prevalent and seems to be a major contributing factor to the increased polarisation we see in society and in generational thinking, actually. On top of all that, we're also beginning to get more comfortable talking about and recognising mental health challenges. And two years of the pandemic have allowed us to sit, think, and consider what really matters to us. The great resignation or great reflection has seen and is seeing people take more control of choosing what they really want from a work and home life. Is it any wonder then, in the face of all that change, that the old style of command and control leadership is now more unsustainable or inappropriate than ever before? So what does the future of leadership look like. Look, I've long since talked about the need for more humanity from leaders on this podcast, but what does that practically look like? And how do we affect that change? Well, with me today is Casper Craven. He's a leading authority in achieving big, bold goals through high-performance teamwork and the author of three best-selling books on leadership and teams, Where the Magic Happens, Be More Human, and his latest work, Big Bold Goals. Now, as a serial entrepreneur, he's built and sold a tech business for a seven-figure sum, worked as a CFO and at KPMG, and not content with that, he has twice sailed around the world, the first time as a team leader on a trophy-winning yacht race for the BT Global Challenge, and then the second time as captain and team leader of his family team in around 2014-2016 with his wife and three young children under 10 years of age, which I think is just incredible. And today, literally, I cannot wait to talk to him and hear his theories and practical advice on what the future of successful leadership really does look like. Welcome to the show, Casper. Andy, thank you very much. And uh, thank you for those kind words. Goodness me, there's, there's an expectation there. I don't know who that person is you just described. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm hoping it's you, buddy. I'm really hoping it's you. Um, we'll give it a go, shall we? <laughs> fantastic. Look, I would be daft if i didn't ask you a couple of things first of all just give me a rundown of what's going on in your life right now what's what are you focused on what's really sort of exercising the old gray cells at the moment and then perhaps let's have a little quick chat about taking three kids under 10 around the world on a yacht i mean that that sounds incredible <laughs> yeah that will the uh, what's exercising my gray matter is thinking very much about how do we 
lead our teams going into the future? What are the things that we need to do? So, um, you know, I've had a whole bunch of different uh, experiences and uh, that's given me a lot of uh, different insights, learning at extremes. And I've taken that and then just sort of looking at all these things that are changing in the world, you know, that, that definition of insanity, doing the same thing, but expecting different results. When everything is moving around you, if you keep doing the same thing, then it ain't going to work. So, uh, yeah, what's exercise in my, my grey matter is how do we really uh, rethink um, what's going on at the moment and, uh, you know, help uh, help teams um, in organizations around the world to be able to, to get to grips with some of those uh, those challenges, those changes, because um, you said that there's a lot changing at the moment. So that, that's what's uh, really exercising me, sort of uh, yeah, talking to people, sharing thoughts and ideas around that. And are you seeing this is becoming, or has the world woken up to all these changes and the impact of from leadership? Because you've been talking about leadership and teams for, for a good while now. Is there now more momentum perhaps than there has been before or is it, has it always been this way? So like, I think there's definitely more momentum. So, I mean, one of the themes that I always talk about is the fact that we all have two teams, a work team and a home team, mm-hmm. and neglect either one at your peril. Um, I, I know that from harsh experience, having done that. <laughs> and <laughs> and um, I think that COVID rammed that home to everyone. That, uh, that some, And so I think that there's definitely more awareness of, of things like that. And uh, as the world sort of drifts to a, moves to a different state, I hope, we remember that and the humanity of how do we operate. But look, I think the um, yeah across all the different uh, organisations that I'm lucky enough to speak to, there's definitely a lot of people moving in this direction. Not everyone, um, but I think that the best talent and customers will migrate to the people who um, you know really take care of people, planet, and so on. So it's um, there's, there's a movement underway. I would say. Well, that's good to hear. It's it's good to hear. It's still quite a confusing thought for me for people who rally against this thought that mm. you know adding humanity into leadership is a good thing it's not going to harm the numbers in, from my perspective it's going to accentuate those numbers but it's still curious to me but before we get into all of that i have to ask you i mean taking three kids under 10 around the world i mean around the supermarket would would probably freak a lot of people out but no let's stick them on a on a yacht and take them around the world i mean clearly you are a i'll use the incorrect term a sailor a yachtsman uh you know you you know how to do this stuff but still that's a challenge right yeah, at this point, most people probably think I'm a little bit crazy, right? Yeah, <laughs> the, um, the, um, I'll, I'll praise it. Five years of preparation in order to go and uh, to go and do that. Yeah, it's a story that uh, we wrote together as a family. Um, clearly, my wife and I led led, led the discussions, um, saying let's go and uh, experience and see the world together. And um, so, uh, yeah, we came up with the idea, and uh, I said, yeah, five years of planning to think through every single eventuality that we could um, imagine. Um, and most people told us what could go wrong, so uh, it wasn't <laughs> too hard to find those, find those different things. And then find ways to, to mitigate all those challenges. But the um, you know the draw of it was you know spending time with our kids, seeing the world with them. Um, because I remember sort of you know working 16, 18 hours a day and not seeing my kids. And it's like, well, what's the point of having kids if you don't see them and share what's really important uh, mm. with with them? So that was kind of the motivating factor. And I, I know the yeah, what we did was uh, probably at, was at the more extreme end of things. Um, but um, yeah, it was an incredible experience. Well, I was going to say what an experience and and. 
something that you to share as a family. I mean, that must have brought you some in- incredible memories, much, much closer, stretched yourself. There probably would have been some scary moments. So I would have thought it with, within that as well. And, and what that's done for you as a family, I'm sure is amazing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely a really sort of um, strong bedrock um, of experiences there, of highs, of lows, um, because yeah, you take two years, any any two year period of time, and uh, you're going to have a bunch of those highs and lows and tantrums and laughter and every, everything else. <laughs> That's just the, the parents. And, I mean. <laughs> uh, exactly. It's like you know, it's funny you're saying about the you know the, the, the anything with kids, but it's like you know, so uh, you know, driving down to Devon for four hours in the car, it's like you know, some child's going to have a tantrum, don't you? It's just a question of which one it is and or how many it's going to be. So it's, Absolutely. I always found those long road trips with kids fascinating some of the smells that would come from the back seat particularly are <laughs> very strong in the memory i think as we go forward but that's that's not really what we're here to talk about today so let's let's park that okay and let's think about this this thing about the future of leadership so we've talked about there seemingly being a change in momentum or at least building some momentum going forward what what's really changed do you think and we mentioned a few things in the in the intro. What have those things done to the whole sphere of leadership from your perspective? What's what's changed? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And by the way, I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll have a tilt at this question, and then I'd like to flip this back to you as okay. your take as well, because you obviously speak to lots of different um, interesting uh, people and have a, have will have an interesting perspective on this. Let me have a tilt. You know what's changed? I mean, clearly the uh, you know COVID is very fresh in our minds. And, uh, you know, there's, there's definitely something that shifted there and brought a great realisation, I think, of, um, you know, how do we work and how do we live? Um, so that's definitely one. But I, I mean, I think the biggest one, of course, has to be um, sustainability mm. and, uh, and climate change and thinking about, um, you know, the types of organisations that we want to uh, want to work for. Um, the, the ones that actually, you know, are going to make a difference to um, something that, that's going on in the world. I went to a talk actually at my son's school um, two weeks ago, and it was a lady who runs Microsoft um, in Europe, and she was saying how their plan is to actually uh, counteract all the emissions that Microsoft has put out into the world, going right back to the day that they were founded. Wow! And it's like, okay, I like that. That that's a good bold statement. And of course, you know, organisations like that, you make you say, well, maybe you can go further as well, and sort of, um, you know, who else? Because I think it's, uh, you know, why, why shouldn't organisations take it, take a big lead on this? Mm-hmm. So um, I think um, that's uh, definitely changed, and I think the, um, you know, one of the other big things I, I see as well is the challenges that we have around our, our mental health, and how do we how do we deal with those? Um, you know, we're all living in a very, very different way these days. We're all sort of, you know, connected to one of these um, sort of on, on a continual basis. And, um, you know, it's it's rewiring our brains. It's changing our brains. So I think that uh, recognition of that, I mean, there's many more, but those I think are probably the first three things that I would tilt. What, what would you add to the list, Andy? What do you see? Uh, I think one of the things that I've noticed the most is this generational shift. Mm. so i i liken it a bit to the alex ferguson football years because i think he's quite an interesting study and look there'll be loads of people listening to this who go you don't know alex ferguson (laughs) okay this is my impression okay i'm sure he fostered amazing team spirit real belief all those kind of good staples of leadership but he was no pushover 
right? Mm-hmm. If there was command and control, my impression was that there was a lot of that with him mm-hmm. to a point. And I think a, a range of players came through of a different generation where I think he finally sort of realized that his approach to leadership didn't work with them as well as it worked with previous generations. He couldn't rule with an iron fist, perhaps, Mm -hmm. like he had done before. They were looking for something different, and they rebelled against that kind of leadership. And I think we're seeing that in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I think people are definitely looking for more from work. I think they're less interested in hierarchy. Um, So the, the sort of flattening of, well, my boss said it, so therefore it must be true. I think there's a lot more curiosity and questioning going on. And when I left my last corporate job on that sort of day, apart from blubbing everywhere, because I was, what am I doing? The CEO at the time very nicely said to me, Andy's proof that good guys can succeed. Mm. And Mm. I've always had this thing in my soul that is, I'm, I'm very much about relationships and collaboration and care and for me that's just a natural leadership trait Mm. i just think it's becoming more of a leadership trait of choice because i think it speaks to a lot more people nowadays that's that's my take on it yeah no it looks really interesting actually just sort of um hearing you say that sparked some other thoughts well i mean the whole thing about you know the the relationships i mean it's like i look back at the businesses that uh that i've built so the bit one of the businesses i built and, and we sold that for me, that was all about the um, creating business success mm. and driving sort of really hard for that. And, you know, that frankly, that was about money. And that was painful um, growing that. But actually, I look back on the times and what was the most valuable thing, although I definitely didn't appreciate it at the time, was the relationships, the people you spend time with. And um, so I, I made that classic mistake of, of, of valuing sort of profits over people, which is why I'm so passionate about flipping it around the other way and really sort of appreciating. It's like, who are you actually going to spend time with, a chunk of time with? And, uh, you know, make sure you enjoy it. Make sure it's meaningful relationships. Make sure you're curious. Make sure you learn from each other. Make sure you help each other out. And I think, um, you know, one of my fundamental things, you know, you sort of it's it's um, a happy team as a fast team rather than just sort of a fast team as a happy team. So it's, um, yeah, really yeah enjoying those relationships being aware of them so i think it's true i mean i i do look back i mean i i was no saint let's let's be really clear about that i i definitely made mistakes i think you thing is you realize it you know when i when it was silly little things for me like when i moved from open plan sitting with the team into a into an office marvelous right all the trappings of having 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 an office but then i would come out of my office to try and engage with the team and i felt like an awkward dad at a teenager's disco like (laughs) just waiting for a conversation to sort of bring me in and allow me to sort of like contribute and i just i felt awkward and i knew i was losing my grip at that point and i'd lost sight of what was important for for sure so that's why i think and it's the same today relationships are are really important and and i'm not really up for veneer relationships i think it has to be meaningful Mm. and again i don't want to sound overly worthy and all sort of hippie about the whole thing because i'm far from that but i just think results come when you have all these things sorted out you know if you go to the lencioni five dysfunctions of a team you know that you might as well if I, my, my daughter keeps saying to me, are you ever going to get a tattoo, Dad? I'm like, no, I'm not the kind of person to have a tattoo. <laughs> but if I was going to have a tattoo, weirdly, I might have his five dysfunctions of a team as uh, the, the pyramid as a tattoo. Because I think it's a metaphor for lots of things in life and building 
trust and enabling to challenge each other, I think, are the absolute fundamentals of, of teamwork and leadership. Yeah, yeah. No. You know, I mean, with that, I mean, that, that to me brings the whole sort of, uh, you know, the vulnerability, the humility. And yes. I think, you know, that's probably the single best reason as well for the uh, build, uh, making sure you've got the right relationships, because none of us have will ever have all the skills that we all need. And therefore, it's without question the most important thing to, you know, build on the strengths of other people, appreciate where you're good, appreciate where other people are good. And uh, to say, you know what, there's this thing over here, you know, I've tried really hard to do this, but actually, I'm just not very good at doing this. Yes, I could get better, but I might get a 10, 20% improvement, but you're amazing at this thing. So you focus on doing this thing. I'll focus on doing this thing here. But again, you can only get to that stage when you sort of, um, yeah, have that vulnerability to uh, to really start sharing with people. So. I think I think that's a great point. And I think for years, we've had this myth of the shell that you must protect yourself with to sort of say, I am rock solid. I'm granite. I've got it all. Come with me. I'm the leader of choice because I won't let you down. I've got all the answers. And I, and I just think that's out of date. And I've mentioned it before in this podcast and anybody that's been through any leadership stuff with me will know this, you know, as a human, you've got an innate desire to help other people that if you can smell that they don't need help, you move on to the next person. So as a leader, if you're saying, I've got it all covered, you are going to really struggle to get engagement long-term. Well, it's interesting. I think about, you know, one of the first people to really shine a light on this was Carol Dweck with uh, Mm. Mindset. And uh, I look back on on the way that, uh, you know, I developed in sort of early career and I was 100% classic fixed mindset. And it was presenting a story and presenting it. I even remember sort of going to work I like, you know, sort of uh, have my home face on, like, here's the corporate face, <laughs> and uh, go and do all that sort of stuff and do the things that I thought I was meant to do, seriously, but it never really tapped into sort of the, the talents, the creativity, because I was trying to project this thing the whole time, which um, actually wasn't that accurate. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, the, the, yeah, it's opening up those conversations so we can be more real, isn't it? I mean, there's lots of language around this isn't authentic leadership and so on. But I think fundamentally, it's, it's not being afraid to, um, you know, be vulnerable. But, you know, but I know in some workplaces that, you know, people, I mean, the phrase obviously around this is psychological safety. Yeah. Some people don't feel safe to do that, which is why I think it's so important for, for leaders to lead, take the lead on this. And, and to share the things where they're not great, to show that humility and to make it okay for other people to do that. And certainly there's a number of organizations I work with where, you know, there's still that fear there. And it's like, you know, that it's going to be tricky. You're, you're going to struggle to adapt to the changes because you're not unleashing the best talent in, 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 in inside your business because uh, nobody feels that safe. So. I think that's true. And I think as leaders now, if you take the metaphor of the the iceberg model, you know, lowering the water level on that iceberg allows you to see a lot more things make a lot less assumptions know a lot more things and the minute you can see this stuff you can start to fix it you can start to do stuff with it and and that's where i think this openness this vulnerability whatever you want whatever you want to call it is is really important and i think that's one of those factors that draws people in as opposed to putting them off and and as a as a leader i think you want to draw as many people in as as possible to your to your clan and uh, make the right moves going forward. Um, so, so where are you going to get your tattoo done then? 
yeah it's not gonna happen it's not gonna happen i mean i really i mean i think i have the ultimate dad bod there's no question about that i i'm just not if i would just look weird with a tattoo casper i'm not are, are you a, are you a tattooed man yourself no no, no. so exactly. actually we're sailing across the pacific there was a place um my tattoos apparently sort of originated from the Marquesa Islands. Yeah. And that was the closest I got to it. But I thought, no, nah, no, nah, I'm not going to I just would look like a fool. You know, <laughs> I might go for a henna tattoo at a festival to try and like be part of the crew. But I know that's going to look like not be there in a few weeks time. But yes, nah. yeah, that's yeah. another generational shift. It seems like you've got to ink yourself today to sort of... Uh, you know, be yourself, but it's just not my thing. It really not does, my... doesn't it? So it's, uh, yeah, no, actually, funny enough, I, I, know, I know we're going completely off topic here, but the, uh, <laughs> I, I did actually get, I did actually get a, a henna tattoo done while I was saying, actually, I've forgotten about that. But, uh, but yeah, tw- 12 days later, it had gone. So it's, <laughs> Yeah, give me a friendship bracelet any day because I know that oh, that's fine, but uh, a tattoo that's going a step too far for me. Um, I'm quite keen to understand in this context of this changing leadership landscape. The link between two of your books, mm-hmm. right? So the, the the Be More Human, which mm-hmm. really drew me in, yeah. and your link to those 20 principles, which I have written down the side of me here, and, and your big, bold goals uh, mm-hmm. focus mm-hmm. right now. I mean, when I read the 20 principles, I was kind of like, yeah. I really get those. They really resonate with me. And when we think about this landscape change right now, I can clearly see why you're trying to link that to sort of, I guess, definitive performance, but really setting out your stall to achieve, right, yeah. through through big, bold goals. Yeah. How can you explain to the listeners that link between those 20 principles, where do they come from, and your focus now on big, bold goals? Yeah, okay. So, look, so where the uh, let me start with where the 20 principles came from. I mean, so... In the um, the five years preparing for for, for our sailing adventure, I, I always believe, by the way, you learn a lot more of the extremes when you put yourself under pressure. And um, so I've definitely done that on both both my sailing trips. And so I learned a lot both about um, uh, work and uh, and family, hence the, the, the two teams. Mm-hmm. And um, so that and then so five years preparing, two years sailing, and then sort of um, being on the, on the speaking circuit after I came back from that. And then just sort of speaking to some incredible people around the world, spending a huge amount of time reading, huge amount of time reflecting and saying, OK, what are the skills that we need to be able to move forward? And it was that period of um, if you know, introspection, reflection, which led me to those 20 principles. A lot of them are sort of, you know, definitely born out of. Uh, my experiences. Um, I often say that there's 20 principles, but there's also 20 whopping great big mistakes that I've made in the <laughs> um, So that was basically the journey to that. And it's kind of so I, I came up came up with them, so I sat down and write them out, and then sort of you know, just sort of um, just benchmarked them against lots of um, you know uh, very successful, very interesting, um, very um, pragmatic, very curious people. Mm. That I had a privilege of bumping into. So that was basically how the, the 20 principles um, um, arose. And then how does that juxtaposition with big, bold goals? So like my whole thing is about sort of whenever someone says something that it can't be done, my instant reaction is that, is that really true? And um, so I love going after the things that everybody else says are impossible. It's just something, it's just something inside me that um, that is just drawn towards that. But I think there's this innate assumption that in order to go and achieve massive goals, you have to be like old style, mm. just drive for the numbers and uh, that whole sort of uh, mindset around that. 
So for me, the juxtaposition is going after the massive goals, but doing it in a way that is fundamentally more human. It puts um, empathy, it puts compassion, it puts understanding. It puts a lot of topics on the table that a lot of people, what I would describe in the old numbers-driven world, fundamentally are uncomfortable with. So the whole area about sort of the emotional understanding you know, well, the you know, I have this notion. Or it's kind of not. It's, it's someone else said this that uh, we're not thinking creatures who feel. We're feeling creatures who think. Brilliant. And it's our emotions that really drive us. And once you start to understand that, then um, I think that uh, that's certainly that 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 sort of shone a huge light on things for me. And actually, that's the place to start in the emotional place, rather than the the place of logic. So that's the, so that's the juxtaposition between the two things. And so uh, this emotion thing and this kind of change of, of leadership, you get, I, I, I get the impression you kind of echoed it yourself that there's leader, there are leaders out there who are almost scared of the topic of emotion. It's not their bag. They don't know how to deal with it. It looks amorphous. I've got to take a separate approach for every single individual. I haven't got time for that. What would you say to leaders who are really wrestling with this whole kind of, look, numbers is where I'm at or that more functional, technical leadership role to the more emotionally-led leadership role? How do you encourage people to kind of make the change? Yeah. So so actually, so one of the things is, is actually a little bit of um, theory. So I had um, a graph um, uh, a little while ago, and basically it showed all the different management theories over the last um, five decades or so. And depending on what point you came into the workplace – you were kind of like, if you like, indoctrinated mm. in that management theory. And there's like, I don't know, 20, 30 of these sort of um, over the past um, 50 years. So a question of that, and you know, when was the last time that one had an upgrade to how one thinks about things? Because how stuff operates is fundamentally different to how it was um, three decades ago. So that's, the, I guess, the first thing. It's just as well, what's your lens? What, what's what's shaping your beliefs at the moment? Why do you believe so strongly that it, it is just about the numbers? Yeah. Um, so it's a little bit of uh, context with that. And again, it's useful when you just sort of see how many different theories that there have been. And there will be more in the future as well, of course. So how would I encourage someone to uh, to think about the uh, the emotional? I think and I'd probably sort of ask someone to sort of just to sit down and reflect on their own experiences. Why do you do things? And to really sort of, you know, I was encouraged people to sit down with a with a blank piece of paper and a pen and sit down and, and sketch and sort of uh, and, and scribble things out. And I think that um the yeah what i notice is that um yeah it's the emotions that start us off on that journey and then we backfill it with uh, with logic and um if um that uh, you struggle with that ask someone who knows you well <laughs> hold the mirror up to you and listen and to hear the feedback that comes back from that um yeah none of us are immune to emotions we all experience emotions and um yeah, it's just it's just the way we operate as human beings, isn't it? So, so. I think so, and I I think we have to embrace it more. To ignore it is folly, ultimately. And and like I say, this generational shift coming through expects more emotional connection. So I was going to say about that. Um, the um, I know we, we we chatted before. We talked about this notion of the uh, the feminization of the uh, of the workplace. Yeah, this came up in conversation with someone I know. I was talking about emotions in the workplace. And uh, he mentioned this phrase, you know, this is about the feminization of the workplace. And uh, I have to say, my jaw kind of hit the floor at that point. 
It sounds like a ridiculous statement. I've it's, got to be honest. It's quite a punchy statement, isn't it? Yeah. So, you know, and like the, what was the, the statistic I read recently? You know, I think it was in the construction industry. Mm-hmm. The, rate, the, the, the single biggest killer of men under the age of um, 50 is, is suicide. And I think in the construction industry, it's, it's 4X that. Wow. Um, and you think sort of, you know, we all experience emotions. We all experience strong emotions. And if someone says, well, you can't talk about your emotions because you're being female, you're being a girl, whatever else. It's like, well, well, that closes that down, especially if you're in a construction, particularly macho industry, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a male-dominated industry. So it's like, well, isn't that an incredible? Doesn't that just that, that that data just speak for itself that we have to be able to sort of deal with our emotions, to be able to be able to express them, we have to be able to understand them, and uh, yeah, to deny them is um, it's folly. I mean, it's just <laughs> they're there. Aren't they? That's a that's a horrible, horrible statistic, and all to do with avoid avoiding emotions. And this is where you know there's another lead in for me, and again, a regular soapbox for me is when we talk about this kind of leadership caring leadership human leadership and you think about the skills underneath it they're always referred to as soft skills which i i hate as a phrase because it just they just sound i don't know second class for some reason behind the other skills because these are soft skills and these human skills as i like to sort of call them i would be absolutely lobbying for these things to be taught at school you know to be thinking about teamwork and humanity and collaboration rather than the kind of individualistic pursuit of stuff because i think they're as you've used the word they are completely juxtaposed to what's needed in society today absolutely and look i mean the uh, they are the hardest skills i have personally had to acquire yeah ones of emotional understanding because it means that you've got to stare at the mirror and um that's really uncomfortable and that's really hard um I love that saying. It came from Ray Dalio, um, and uh, that that pain plus reflection equals progress. That we all have repeating patterns in our lives, don't we? And um, you know, if 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 um, you have a pain point in one area, you can bet your bottom dollar it, it appears everywhere. So you know, for me, you know, two of my uh, my flaws, my weaknesses uh, in the past, which I've done a lot of work to mitigate. I'm not saying they're completely gone. Um, is um, uh, blame, thinking other people's fault rather than owning it myself. Nice. Um, and uh, and not listening enough. And, um, you know, th- what I noticed is that both those patterns were following me around at work and at home. And, um, yeah, for far too long, I was in denial about that. And, um, yeah, the, the only way out of that is to sit there, to stare hard. So I always like to think of the notion, whatever that pain point is, to put it on your hand and hold it up there in front of you and twist it around to look at it from every single angle. And I think I use the phrase in my book to go and soak in that pain, which is horrible. It's hard as <laughs> to go and do that. But um, so there's nothing soft about that. And um, that's that, 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 that those are the hard things to do. But I think that, um, I mean, some people, obviously, a lot of people obviously don't do that. But I think that's when you get the greatest amount of growth when you overcome those things, you can move forward. So. I think so. It's the easiest thing to avoid, isn't it? But actually spending time really facing into it, I think, has huge dividends. I spoke to uh, Jane Edshard Grant recently, mm. who's done a lot of work with the Barry Miller stuff and wrote a book, Are You Listening or Just Waiting to Speak? Mm. And I, I, yeah. and the, the title of that book is just 
classic because I look back at my early career and yeah, my, my active listening was a lot of nodding and all the rest of it. But whilst I was nodding and making noises, I was trying to work out what I'm going to say next, not listening at all, which, so your point about not listening enough, well made. And I think that's another trait for leadership going forward is properly listen, learn to listen. Yes. Yeah. I think actually one of the things that follows on from that is just allowing those spaces in the conversation Mm -hmm. and uh, not feeling the the need just to fill that space and just to sort of sit there and just take some what someone's just said. Okay, let me just think about that for a moment. Um, Being so often sort of in a sort of a a large environment, uh, a large group environment, the conversation's flying like this. And it's like, and it's almost like competition, isn't it? So who's going to say the next thing? (laughs) And actually, it's just sort of, I'm just going to pause on that, reflect on that for a moment. And, um, you know, we don't have to have all the answers immediately. It'd be nice. But um, just to really take the time. But I guess the other challenge with that, comes back to this whole sort of mental health thing is that the you know we end up sort of um, um, self-medicating ourselves with just continual doses of sort of inbound information that uh, you know social media and so on and it's just like just checking at us the whole time and other people numb things with you know other stuff alcohol drugs or whatever else is their way of dealing with it but um, sometimes it's just yeah creating that space to listen and and really hear the message isn't it from yourself from others so yeah I mean I would I would expect well, I mean, you, you you go around the world speaking to audiences about this sort of stuff, and as a professional speaker, you must know the power of the pause when you're trying to sort of engage an audience. That when you you drop a large thought, the last thing you want to do is then career all over that with a load more information. You want to yes. stop. Yes. You want to allow the audience to kind of soak up that point. Yes. Look them in the eye and recognize this is now landed. Have a think about it before you kind of move on. To me, it's exactly the same in, in a one to one or any sort of other conversation. And actually, even as a podcast host, it really, it really is, isn't it? It's, um, yes, I'm sort of, uh, my, my mind's wandering off in all sorts of different directions now, just as you're saying that. It's sort of, I mean, that's, that, that's the beauty, isn't it? Because you say something and it just sort of, it sets your mind off in a different direction that it wasn't going to before by virtue of what you've heard by mm. virtue rather than this is the next thing that i'm going to go and say so um yeah and no, they're really interesting space. having said that one thing i'm really interested to kind of like have a chat about on here when we originally spoke and we were talking about the future of human leadership and yeah. talking about team performance you mentioned something i i thought really interesting new work that you're looking into really about this unresolved trauma and and how it inhibits team performance on almost a hidden level today tell us what what's going on with that whole topic yeah so i think this is um this is one of those topics that um is very easily dismissible mm. as saying, oh, that's all woo-woo stuff. And just like actually sort of five years ago when I was talking about, you know, work life, home life, <laughs> and uh, paying attention to that, that, that got quite easily dismissed as well. Not anymore. Um, and uh, I think that trauma is very much in, in the same space. And look, I think that um, all of us have trauma on some level. And uh, I'll tell you what, what I mean by trauma. It means you have some emotional experience 
um, some strong emotional experience from the past. We, we've all had those, haven't we? Mm. And um, when a trigger comes up, when something comes up, it flips you straight back into that state, which means you're no longer here in the present. There's, there's, there's a disassociation. I know that the, the psychologists will give a better definition of it than that, but that's my, that's my simplistic uh, understanding of that. And, you know, I think, you know, afterwards I used to sort of grow up talking to my mum and the word trauma came up. She said, well, you haven't been to war. You haven't got trauma. And it's like, well, no, I haven't. But I still get some sort of, you know, I think emotional dysregulation is one of the phrases that I hear. So why is that important? Well, I think that fundamentally one of the reasons that we don't operate well as, as teams is because of these unresolved things. So rather than dealing with exactly what you've got here in the present and in front of you, you're dealing with stuff from the past mm. that's bringing up and, and shaping the discussion, or you're trying to escape towards the future. That was my that was my flavour of choice. Um, and um, the um, I think that really getting underneath the skin of that is, is fascinating. There's some amazing work around this. Um, um, there's, a, there's a guy called Bessel van der Kolk who wrote a book, uh, "The Body Keeps the Score." And um, just sort of exploring different ways that this can be resolved. Because the other, the other thing around this as well is the traditional way of, of resolving this is what you might call talk therapy, where you sit down and there's that whole sort of, you know, perception of psychologists sitting on the couch and so on. And uh, actually, there are myriad more ways to resolve this. And um and basically, it's about reconnecting the cognitive brain and the, and the emotional brain. And again, when you go back to that notion, we're, we're feeling creatures uh, yeah. think we're driven by emotions. So until you understand what's really driving your emotions, then um, you don't really understand yourself fundamentally. So which I know is a fairly punchy thing to say. But um, but I think that this is such an interesting space. And I look, I, I would describe myself as an enthusiastic amateur in this space. And I, I'm, I'm very privileged to actually be working with two different teams, uh, one by, uh, well, they're both, both run by clinicians. One's a consultant psychiatrist. One has been operating in the trauma space for, 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 for several decades. And uh, speaking to them and understanding how this stuff is operating. And it feels like there's a massive disconnect because, how this stuff is understood, how it's resolved, it's kind of like up here. How the world understands things is kind of down here. There's a massive, almost like sort of marketing gap between understanding what these what these different things are available and you know what the impact of of these is. So um, yeah, for me, I'm kind of really keen just to shine a light on that at the moment and make people more aware of this and to be more open minded to going on journeys to um, you know uncover. Uh, you know, what's really driving your behaviours. It does make a lot of sense because any past experience influences your your action in a new experience, right? You know, if, if you've been stung by a bee as a kid, there's a good chance you're going to be scared of bees. And that's a terrible example. But ultimately, all of these things end up inhibiting your performance or your ideas or your confidence on other things, right, going forward. So why would it be any difference in work environment? Absolutely. And so many, the thing is, so many of these things sit beneath the surface mm. that we can't cognitively remember what those experiences are. It doesn't mean so they don't exist. And I remember sort of it was my business who years ago basically said to me, it's like, well, you need to go and get a coach, someone to hold the mirror up to you. And it's like, no, I don't need that. I'm all right. And uh, that classic thing. And I think this is exactly the same thing. That For years, I was in denial that I needed to, to look at anything um, around this. And you know, I, I kind of think that actually paying attention to our mental health, I think it should be um, one of those things that 
we treat almost like doing exercise. You don't do it when there's a problem and you're overweight or anything else like that. You do it as a regular thing to stay fit and healthy. So whether that's sort of, you know, every fortnight, every month, every two months, whatever it is, to go and sort of have some outlets. And it'll be different for different types of people. Everyone will have their different flavors of doing things. Um, but something that leans into that space, especially given the uh, the pressures, the social media and all these sorts of things, it's, it's really uh, putting a lot more pressure on that. So I think that I would love to see it. It becomes a normal conversation um, around that. I would too. On reflection, I, I think the more that we understand about each other, the the better. Your point that we're emotional creatures is so well made, and I think leaders going forward have to recognise that and quickly adapt if it's not their strong suit um, to make things different. Yes, but I cannot believe it, but we are coming towards the end of our time already, and yet we've covered so, so much, and so little. I know oh, exactly. <laughs> Just what? Oh. Well, look. I have an area in the show as we get to the end where I try to summarize all the things that we've talked about. And I say, I try to summarize. That's a lie. I ask you to summarize. And what I would like you to do is to try and condense some of the things we've talked about today into three pieces of advice that you could stick on a sticky note and that people could take away. So when we're thinking about the future of the leadership, what would you put on your three sticky notes, Casper? Yeah, okay. So, everyone got a sticky note ready? <laughs> and out. I'm going to give you a formula for the first one. Okay. I've already shared it already today. But it's pain plus reflection equals progress. Brilliant. We, we all have pain points in our lives, don't we? To um, Just to take uh, five minutes, ten minutes, sit down on your own, switch your phone off, and to reflect, what's the pain? What's the most painful thing I'm experiencing right now? And just to take some time to reflect on that. And it's in that reflection process when we give ourselves the space to do that. We often find new ideas, new insights, different ways to think about it. Someone else, we go and ask for help around it. But um, we then give ourselves the space to do that. So that's my first one. Pain plus reflection equals progress. Love that. Uh, the second one, I think, is the, um, the to celebrate curiosity. I think that the, the leaders of the future are the ones who recognize that the answers can come from anywhere in your team and to ask questions and to then shut up, sit back and listen and just sort of, uh, you know, be amazed <laughs> at uh, what are the things that uh, that come out. Um, and then the um, the third thing is uh, I can't, I'm kind of like drawn to sort of having just talked all about the trauma space. I'm inclined to sort of <laughs> lean towards that for everyone just to sort of have a conversation with themselves about you know what could you do differently around your around your mental health. And there's so many different things you can do, whether it's doing more exercise, meditation, talking to someone, different types of therapy, but actually just to sort of be open minded to um you know different things around that and um it's funny i was fine when i i i, I regularly do different um therapies and stuff like that because I, I every time i do that i get massive breakthroughs and the time when i don't think i've got a problem when there's nothing that's really going on for me without question those are the times when i get massive insights yeah. which i'm never expecting always the way isn't it always the way yeah, when I go with a problem, I get the problem solved. But actually, it's when I go without a problem with a blank sheet of paper. And it's like, oh, this is going to be interesting. Where's it going to go? <laughs> Much like these conversations. Casper, uh, uh, amazing. To your point, I feel like 
we've literally only scratched the surface. That that time has gone far too quickly for me. It's been an absolute pleasure to have met you and to speak to you today. And thank you for sharing your wisdom, advice, experience on what we think the future of leadership looks like. It's It's been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Look, it's been really great to have, have just have a conversation, to be honest. I mean, that's what this is about, isn't it? having more conversations, which are more real. So. 100% my friend those meaningful conversations that are real couldn't have put it better myself all right my friend you take care and uh, hopefully I'll see you again soon fantastic thanks Andy thanks mate okay that was Casper Craven and if you'd like to find out a bit more about him or any of the topics that we've covered in today's show please check out the show notes so that concludes today's episode I hope you've enjoyed it found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham, and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.